Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Dahlia Wasfi. Dahlia Wasfi is an Iraqi-American justice activist who has written and spoken extensively on U.S. policy in that region. She is currently writing a book on Iraq, and she recently published an article we'll talk about called Battling ISIS, Iran-Iraq War Redux. Dahlia, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me. So we're at about 25 years now of the United States bombing Iraq and sanctions on Iraq and rather nasty interference with Iraq even earlier than that uh, and something to do with a war with with Iran. Can you give, give us a brief history of how the United States has quote-unquote helped Iraq? Yeah, this is um, with help like that, um, who needs harm? Uh, so the U.S. has been interested in Iraq uh, for many, many years. Of course, Iraq used to be uh, occupied by the British and uh, a colony of the British in the uh, 19th century up until the early part of the 20th century. Um, and then in the 1950s, uh, the U.S. began to come, as the U.S. began emerging on uh, more prominently uh, on the international scene or getting involved in that region in general because of its oil, uh, the U.S. took an interest in Iraq. So really uh, our, our interest and in our interference in Iraqi affairs goes back to the 1950s. Um, in 1958, the uh, the Iraqi people overthrew the the British monarch, British supported, British installed monarchy in Iraq. Uh, and after that, there was a battle between uh, the communists uh, and the socialists uh, for uh, for control of of Iraq. And we absolutely remember, for us that time, this was a time of the so-called Red Scare and a lot of anti-communist sentiment, and we were about to let all that oil get into the hands of communists. Uh, so we actually backed uh, the Socialist Party, which was actually the Arab Ba'ath uh, Socialist Party. Um, so this is how we helped the, the Ba'athists come to power in Iraq in the 1960s. And just to be um, clear, Dahlia, just to be crystal clear, you're using the term we to refer to the U.S. government here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you for for clarifying. So, um, so this is where uh, the U.S. involvement, the American CIA, helped bring the Ba'ath Party to power, in particular Saddam Hussein uh, to power, um, which is the big irony of uh, so so much of our um, our interference around the world is that we usually uh, bring to power the people who eventually we label as our greatest enemies. So we helped the Ba'athists come to power. We supported them during an eight-year war with Iran, uh, where we actually were officially backing Iraq uh, during the 1980s against Iran. But in secret, the um, Bush senior administration was arming uh, the Iranians as well. So we helped to uh, draw that war out for eight years. And, and the, then at and the, end the of Reagan war, administration as well, right? That's right. That's right. And actually, uh, there's a very famous image and uh, clip from te from Iraqi television that shows a special envoy to President Reagan 
visiting Saddam Hussein and uh, shaking his hand, affirming our alliance with Iraq. And, and that special envoy was Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, it's really a revolving door of players um, for our, our uh, policy in Iraq. Um, but at the end of that war, Iraq was named uh, the winner, uh, although it was a devastating war for both sides, costing a million casualties total. Um, and uh, Iraq was then emerging as the, as the powerhouse in the region, uh, and we were, we were we are really against anything that changes the status quo. Um, and uh, after uh, there were several main uh, economic issues that Iraq had with Kuwait, and the uh, Kuwaitis were uh, curiously intransigent on uh, abiding by OPEC rules, uh, and uh, negotiating on um, on oil prices, and ultimately that uh, that led to the August 1990 uh, movement of Iraqi troops into Kuwait, and Iraq occupied Kuwait, and uh, that there then came over the next several months a, a massive military buildup in the Gulf, despite no escalation uh, from the Iraqi government. Uh, and then we had the, the first Gulf War that began on January 17th, 1991. And that was, uh, we just passed the 25th uh, anniversary of, of that, the start of that bombing campaign. And what we've seen is uh, military aggression against Iraq ever since that time. Yeah, continued bombing campaign sanctions, a big new bombing campaign in 2003, and and ongoing now, right? Even though people talk about it as if it's uh, over and past, uh, ongoing U.S. war making in Iraq as we speak. Absolutely. It's, it's become background noise, and after 25 years, it's just become the norm. Uh, but uh, definitely with the, after the first Gulf War in 1991, the U.S. and Great Britain uh, illegally set up no-fly zones. They were illegal because there was no U.N. Uh, endorsement, no U.N. vote on them, and it, it, uh, it went against the sovereignty of, of Iraq. Um, but they set up no-fly zones and repeatedly bombed the southern no-fly zones throughout the 1990s. Now, this is under Democratic administration of President then-President Bill Clinton, um, and in 1998, he launched Operation Desert Fox, which was a several-day bombing campaign that, and also passed the uh, Iraq Liberation Act. Uh, he signed it uh, into, into law. And this was basically paving the way for the uh, removal of the Saddam Hussein regime from rule in Iraq. Uh, and that, of course, we, that was led in 2003 with the shock and awe invasion and uh, we continued to bomb Iraq uh, and had a, a, a strong military presence. We had a, a, an illegal military occupation of Iraq officially through 2011. Uh, and then we formally withdrew, although many members uh, of the U.S. military and then unknown thousands mercenaries remained in Iraq. And Iraq has yet to fully regain control of its airspace independently. Uh, and then formally uh, bombing campaigns uh, restarted in uh, June, I believe June of 2014. So 
Uh, Barack Obama became the fourth consecutive U.S. president to announce airstrikes against Iraq, which is a country that's about the size of California. So this sustained military aggression over the past 25 years has taken an unbelievable toll uh, on the people of Iraq. Uh, and, uh, and it's now, it's beyond that at this point. Uh, it, uh, we invaded uh, and uh, bombed Libya. Uh, bringing uh, much devastation and humanitarian catastrophe to that country. Uh, we're involved in the same effort of, quote-unquote, regime change in Syria. Uh, we're watching, we're standing by as our close ally in the region, Saudi Arabia, is using U.S. weaponry to bomb Yemen. Uh, and this is all an effort to maintain the status quo, which is Western control of, of this oil-rich region. Yeah, and decades to come in the quote-unquote ended uh, U.S. war in Afghanistan as well. Um, right. the, uh, there was a poll, Dahlia, in 2007, Associated Press U.S. poll, uh, asked people how many Iraqis had been killed uh, in uh, the war of the past four years at that point. Uh, and the, the median answer was 9,000. 9,000 Iraqis have been killed. Uh, if you try to get a, an accurate total of deaths, injuries, people traumatized, people made refugees uh, during the past 25 years and more, what are, what are we really talking about? Oh, the, the millions. Um, the, the whole population uh, has been uh, negatively affected by by U.S. policy in the region. Um, there might have been 9,000 dead on the first day of shock and awe, um, but that's the that's uh, this is the this is a that's how successful the uh, mainstream media uh, effort is to obscure the, the facts. Um, uh, the U.N. estimates uh, for the death toll of the first Gulf War in conjunction with the 12 years of sanctions that followed between 1.2 and 1.8 million Iraqis. Uh, with uh, the 2003 invasion and subsequent occupation, uh, estimates of the first three years of occupation uh, in the landmark 2006 uh, Lancet study was 655,000. And then subsequent uh, uh, studies done um, with different methodology estimated that the death toll was over a million. Um, so this is where we're now, and that was that was in 2007. So we're now nine years later. So if we take an estimate of uh, of the death toll during sanctions, we'll say about one and a half million uh, dead from those 12 years, 1991 through 2003, and then a minimum. Uh, of uh, 1.2 million uh, since the invasion of 2003, we're talking about somewhere around 3 million people dead, um, and this is this would be 10 percent of the of the population of Iraq. Now, now that doesn't take into account, in addition, of, unfortunately, the the standard methodology that was used in the Lancet study is unrepeatable at this point in time because of of a chronic situation of insecurity, that people simply cannot go door-to-door -to, -door to interview people and collect the data. Um, and, and even the most recent U.N. study that came out that estimated that in a year-and-a-half-long period that 19,000 Iraqis had died in violence, 
this this is a very low estimate because they could not reach areas and they could not verify the death toll where airstrikes were taking place. And at this point, we're talking about airstrikes from Iraqi Air Force uh, battling ISIS, as we're told. Some Iranian planes from the Iranian Air Force are involved in the bombings. U.S. planes are involved in the bombings. British planes are involved in the bombings. And, and now Russian planes are involved in the bombings in Syria as well. So that's just to, to include Syria in the, in the, in the mix. But uh, this is an incredible uh, amount of death and destruction that has not even been accounted for. And in addition to that, those 19,000 for the year-and-a-half period of this recent study uh, does not include uh, mortality from the secondary effects of war, which are which is is traditionally uh, in- included in these numbers. So we're talking about about millions of people who are being affected, and then with the chronic amount of insecurity and violence, you're talking about chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's a it's a it's an unbelievable and really for me who's living here in the United States, it's an, I, I can't begin to imagine what it is for those who have survived through these years. Um, and this is these are my cousins who are in their thirties who were born in the nineteen eighties, really have known nothing but war and occupation and uh, and and insecurity their whole lives. It's uh, it's an unbelievable uh, effort to survive on a daily basis, and even they have they've not been displaced. They have been fortunate to have stayed in their homes. But for those people, uh, now an additional three million uh, since uh, 2014, an additional three million Iraqis have been displaced from their homes, and they are in danger from food insecurity, potable water uh, act, lack of potable water access lack of medical care, but then also there are these various militias uh, in, in control and all over the country uh, that are really wreaking havoc on the, on the families who are trying to survive, and those people who are displaced are very vulnerable to either paramilitary militias uh, who are working for, uh, under the name of the Iraqi government, or then they can fall victim to, the, uh, to ISIS groups. Um, it's it's incredibly, uh, incredibly desperate, and really, I, I can't perceive it at this point. But um, somehow, they continue to uh, to struggle to survive. We're speaking with Dahlia Wasfi, an Iraqi American peace and justice activist. Uh, Dahlia, just to be clear, when you mentioned that uh, report of nineteen thousand uh, killed, that was not in two thousand four, two thousand five, but just uh, last year, over a year and a half, right? Yes, this was a period from January 2014 through October 2015. So this is, uh, yeah, just under a, um, it's between a year and a half and two years, so 20 months uh, of document documentation. And the study, the study did its best, but they fully acknowledged that they could only, they were only uh, counting reports that they could verify. Uh, and in a in a situation that Iraq is in, where there again, where there's so much insecurity, verification is very difficult to come by. So it's a sta- they, they use the word they used was staggering, 
and uh, and it's a but it's a low estimate. Um, even even at the high number that they've documented. And, and when you talk about uh, 10% of the Iraqi population killed, some at least 3 million out of 30 million, uh, and probably at least half of that uh, just since 2003, uh, I mean, it seems we're talking about a bigger percentage of a country killed in a war than just about any other country Ever in the history of the Earth that we know of, uh, the uh, certainly the United States has not lost that percentage in any war, uh, and most countries, even in World War II, didn't lose that percentage of people. I, I mean, I don't think Americans grasp the extent of, of the destruction of of the the Iraqi society. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's no. There's no nobody has a corner on the market on human suffering um, uh, in that part of the world or in other places as well. But uh, cert- I certainly you're right. We have no absolutely no concept of of that kind of of loss and destruction, and we're kept very much in the dark by the mainstream media on purpose. Yeah. Um, there for the you know I actually I don't know the population of Vietnam but during our uh, our years uh, in uh, sending our military to Vietnam uh, the estimate I'm, I know is that over three million Vietnamese were killed um, and actually with U.S. policy in in Africa uh, specifically in Congo uh, Congo in the last fifteen years I believe has suffered six million dead. Uh, so it's uh, it's actually you know it's uh, it's been inc- all of these numbers are are incredible. Um, so it's but you know Iraq is one of the series of of an absolute absolute decimation that has been um, it's it, it's been a it, this doesn't happen by accident. This yeah. is a conscious effort to to keep Iraq in ruins to keep the population weak. Um, and again, that's all about you know I. I'll, I guess I'm quoting the Godfather, but you know, it's not personal; it's just business. It's about us stealing their oil resources and uh, and doing what, what whatever's necessary to do that. And that means incredible, uh, incredible suffering for the people there. And and you know, again, it's that 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 policy of military aggression. We've now spread it to to around the region. It was, you know, for people who are in their 20s these days. I, I think really war or, or U.S. military aggression has really become something we're used to. But it was a big deal in 1991. Uh, people were hesitant at that point in time to uh, to support uh, a U.S.-led attack on Iraq, and it took a lot of uh, of um, propaganda <laughs> and lies that were peddled by the mainstream media. Um, to garner support for the U.S. invasion, and now it's really just become has become our our standard operating procedure. Unfortunately, yeah, I think the other U.S. war that may top it by this sort of measure uh, is the U.S. war on the Philippines uh, of mm. uh, of almost a hundred years before uh, the wars we're talking about. But there was a there was a CNN poll 2011 found that a majority in the U.S. 
believed that Iraq had benefited uh, from the recent U.S. war on Iraq, uh, while the United States had suffered. Uh, And there was a CBS poll in 2010 found that a plurality in the United States believed that Iraqis were grateful. Uh, for the U.S. war. There, there was a recent uh, GOP presidential debate during which, amazingly enough, one of the Fox uh, News, quote-unquote, news commentators asked the candidates uh, about, asked Jeb Bush about his brother's uh, mistakes, as he called uh, the wars on Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and was booed. The moderator was booed uh, for speaking badly uh, about the U.S. wars. I mean, what what does this say about U.S. understanding uh, of what's uh, of what's happening in Iraq, and does anyone uh, understand that the, that there is still a U.S. war in Iraq today? Uh, I mean, I you know that's why I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share my perspective on this topic, and I appreciate the attention uh, that that's being given to to remember uh, that it's been 25 years since. Since we since we started bombing Iraq, um, no, we we we're clueless. We are absolutely clueless here, and we're 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 dumbed down. Um, now it's not you know it's not entirely people's fault because uh, the economy is so bad, and uh, and the um, the inequality in uh, in wealth is so bad in this country that uh, that the average working person is working two, maybe three jobs just to try to keep their head above water, put food on the table for their families. So all they're really hearing, uh, if, they can, if they can stop focusing on their own um, struggle for survival, if they have the chance to, to listen to the news of what we're doing around the world, they'll just get a sound bite here and there. Uh, and, and in those sound bites, uh, there's a very, very efficient and effective uh, propaganda machine that's uh, keeping us, uh, generally speaking, in the dark about the about the truth, and and it's all connected. Uh, you know, the Pentagon budget is uh, over, I believe, over 700 billion dollars now, um, and certainly the wealth inequality CEOs, uh, the the margin between what the CEOs are earning and uh, and what the average worker is earning is is growing. Uh, that gap is growing every year. Uh, and what we have to recognize is those are that's the that's the issue. The people who are destroying uh, our ability to to have a decent living in this country. That's not the Iraqis that are doing that. That's not ISIS that's doing that. Um, that's Wall Street. Uh, and Wall Street is really uh, influencing our domestic policy and our foreign policy to an extent that um, that a lot of people are suffering here. Now, I'm not comparing the suffering of those in a war zone and those displaced uh, to to what's happening in this country, but we have. My point is that we have the average American has more in common with the average Iraqi or the average Syrian or the average Afghan uh, than we do with our own government. And, and that's, really, that's really the key to, to waking up and investing, investing in our infrastructure here at home rather than bombing infrastructure overseas. If we, if we take a look at, um, and I think this, is just, this may just be the, the first major event of uh, literally poisoning 
four people in this country, in Flint, Michigan, um, a a cost-saving effort to, um, you know, just uh, we'll send them this dirty water instead of the more, uh, you know, the clean water, um, because that'll that'll save the government money. Um, That this is really rooted in uh, corporate tax breaks um, and the rich getting richer while the poor people are now literally being poisoned uh, to, uh, to save money. This is, we're seeing that, uh, come to fruition here. And, and, and who's suffering all the way around? This is poor people. Poor people are bearing the brunt of, of our, uh, our exploits overseas. And that's really something that, uh, that Martin Luther King said, uh, at least 50 years ago, that, uh, every, and I'm paraphrasing, um, every bomb that falls overseas lands in the inner city here at home. Um, so this is, you know, it's a, I think the margin and the gap between wealthy and poor is bigger than it's ever been before, but this has been the same issue that's, that's been plaguing this country for, for a long, long time. Dahlia, we have uh, less than four minutes left. I wanted to ask you, is it your belief that the U.S. system is so corrupt that these wars are being driven and continued and extended for the profits to be made during the wars? Because you've, you've written that the U.S. goal seems to be not to actually uh, destroy ISIS, but to embroil the region in ongoing lengthy uh, destruction to weaken other powers there. Absolutely. Um, And uh, the article I wrote about six months ago was about comparing what we're doing now in the so-called war on ISIS and comparing it to what we did in the Iran-Iraq war, where we formally were allied with uh, the Iraqi government while the um, Bush senior administration, excuse me, the Reagan administration uh, was uh, was arming uh, Iran behind everybody's back, including Congress. And the goal there, which was successful, was to keep those two major powers in the region battling each other, which depletes resources and uh, keeps the countries weak and busy. Uh, and uh, allows for uh, the West to, to maintain control over the region. I see the same thing today. Formally, we're backing the current uh, U.S.-installed uh, Iraqi government, uh, but we're also uh, accidentally on purpose funneling arms and money to Syrian, quote-unquote, rebel groups, knowing full well that those arms and monies are ending up in the hands of ISIS and other extremist groups. And this is sort of the, the this, is, this was found uh, in, uh, in released uh, reports from the Pentagon that this was allowed to happen on purpose because the, uh, the strength of Iran, basically the strength of Shia power with Iran and an Iran-friendly government in Iraq, uh, the U.S. wanted a counterbalance. So allowing these extremist groups at the other end of the spectrum to emerge serves the purpose, again, of keeping the region embroiled in warfare, um, again, distracted and, um, and uh, blood spilling and resources depleted and people depleted so that, again, we, uh, we can maintain control of that region and its resources. So as I see the same thing happening again. Um, and this is really this, not just in that part of the world, but we tend to do what we need to do to maintain the status quo, and that's to keep the 
the coffers of Wall Street full, which then in turn keeps the uh, re-election campaigns funded for various uh, public officials in this country. One minute left, Dahlia. What can people do who understand this and are upset about it and want to change it? I think the the best thing is don't give up hope. Um, this is uh, there's a saying. Maybe we can't fix all the rights of the of all the wrongs of the world, but we could do our very best in the midst of them. Um, and there is an incredible next generation coming up that is so savvy and so uh, fierce and just so. Um, they're ready to do what they have to do because they're going to bear the brunt of, of what, what they're going to reap, what we are sowing for them today, um, and support these young people in their activism. And whatever it is, whatever your passion is, follow your passion to make this a better world and to do some healing and to do service, try to make up for the heart being inflicted in our names. I believe that, that there is always hope in that. There's always hope as long as we've got a breath inside every one of us. Wonderful note to close on. We've been speaking with Dahlia Waspy. We'll have links to where you can find her at talknationradio.org. Dahlia, thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.